Welcome to another episode of Chris Reed's Book. And welcome back. Alright, so a couple of things this week right off the bat. First of all, I apologize for my week's absence. I was actually last Tuesday uh, at the hospital with my wife. We were starting labor at that point, so kind of couldn't do a podcast recording. Uh, but mom and baby are fine. Uh, our first little daughter, Ryan, was born almost uh, on the 6th. Almost on May 6th, but she ended up being born on Revenge of the 5th. So that was kind of cool. You know, not May the 4th, but Revenge of the 5th is cool. Uh, but she's healthy, she's doing great, putting on weight, and Mom is recovering, which is awesome. The second thing that I want to apologize for, my normal podcast recording mic seems to have uh, taken a crap on me. So I'm using a uh, Microsoft headset that I got from one of my buddy's weddings. It's one that we use all over TeamSpeak when we game on Sunday nights. Hopefully it works all right. It is kind of nice because now I don't have to be leaned in so far and I can actually swivel my head while I'm doing this, but I'm not sure if it's going to pick up too much background noise. We'll find out. Hopefully not. Either way, I'm going to look into replacing that, but I apologize. You might have to deal with this and with me for a couple weeks. But anyway, welcome back to the podcast. This is episode 16, it looks like. Uh, one other apology. Uh, episode 15, I went back through and uh, listened to it. I listened to all my podcasts just to try and figure out if they're of a good quality. And listening to it, I'm going to re-record the last chapter on that episode because with uh, one of the audio effects that I put on it... it some of the some of the text is completely inaudible and I apologize for that I will make it right so if you are uh, listening to this in the future hello future people you probably will not notice any difference if you've already listened to that episode I apologize I will get a new version out there if you re-download episode 15 it will have the updated audio on that um, hopefully by this Sunday you know that would be what, 20th, working backwards from next week, Wednesday, 2019-18, by like May 17th, uh, 2015. With that, again, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for listening. If this is your first time listening to the Chris Reads Book Podcast, this is a serial podcast wherein I read chapters out of my first science fiction novel, Mystery and Deceit from Earth to Mars. So, if you have not listened to the other episodes, I highly advise you to stop listening at this point. Go over to iTunes, or whatever podcast player you have, or if you just have an MP3 player, you can head over to my website, narclaninc.com, that's N-A-R-C-L-A-N-I-N-C.com, where you can find the raw MP3 files of this podcast, or, like I said, you can go through your favorite podcast uh, application, or through iTunes. And you can get Chris Reed's book from there. You can search by that title or by my name or Mystery and Deceit. You should be able to find this podcast out there. 
if you are downloading from an app and you have not yet connected with me on the social media out there, Facebook, Twitter, that sort of thing, head on over to my website. Again, narclaninc.com. Over there, you can find links off to my author Facebook page, to my author Twitter account, where I will post whenever I have a new episode out. And also, you know, various things that uh, really catch my attention. Like uh, one thing I posted on Facebook, and I think I have my Facebook hooked up to Twitter, so, you know, one post goes to the other, uh, was something from the guys from the Flash TV show. Uh, they were doing a Kickstarter campaign, and as a thank you to um, Joss Whedon, I believe, who gave them some money, they sang the Firefly theme song a cappella, and that was super cool, so I had to post that over there. So, again, narclaninc.com. You can find a bunch of stuff over there. Uh, one of these weekends, I swear, I promise, I will be revamping that site, updating it, putting in some new content, some other links, and fixing the the uh, the blog. In the meantime, what we are going to listen to this week is... Uh, hopefully here, chapters 26, 27, 28, and 29. Um, as I posted on Facebook last night, I took an extra day and kind of forward edited so that all of these should be pre-edited chapters, just as I want them to be. Not a quick edit like I've done in the past, but a full edit of the chapters, which should make them a lot more uh, readable, a lot more listenable. So, the chapters we're reading tonight. Chapter 26, what are they up to? Chapter 27, which will be very short, Chaos at the End. Chapter 28, An Encounter. And Chapter 29, Ignorance Lost. So, let's jump into it. Chapter 26, what are they up to? So, what's this great conspiracy all about, Eric? Hmm? Eric had, again, been in one of his protracted reveries. Chaos is people. What are they building toward? I asked. Well, that's one thing that's only now becoming clear, Eric responded. How many people does this movement control? I pressed. He holds sway over thousands of well-placed people, Eric replied. So why haven't they made their move yet? They've had hundreds of years for people to forget about chaos altogether. The government saw to that long ago. Realization suddenly dawned on me then. I looked up from my note tab to see Eric staring right at me, a sad smile on his face. Now you understand how well placed they are. We are the only ones to remain holy in history. Chaos was written out. His people saw to that, as you say, long ago. Atmo, the TDF and my kind, are all that remain in schools and the collective consciousness today, Eric replied. So why do they wait? I asked. Because they learned their lessons well, Eric replied, chief among those being Matthew Welsh, their version of Adolf Hitler's beer hall putsch. They are not only preparing for a takeover, but a siege. They know that mankind will not go quietly into their bleak night, that people will rise up and stand against them. As such, they build resources. Soon, though, they will have all they require. They also wait for me to leave. You see, everything is soon coming together for them. And when it does, 
they will return. How long? I asked. Eric furrowed his brow and thought. Very soon, came the uneasy reply. Eric, you can still make a difference, I said. No, his face becoming yet more filled with concern. I am out of time. They seek a dark time. Hold on here. Doo -doo. Sorry about this. Didn't have my control set up. <laughs> they seek a dark time, came the now familiar chorus. A return, yet more stagnation. The unknown is fear to them. We must pull back. Eric shook his head, his eyes clearing from their chaos gray. It will be another dark age for humanity, he said matter-of-factly, but also as a realization. Then what is there to be done? I asked. Preparations must be finalized for the coming battle, Eric replied. But surely, I said, suddenly hopeful, battle will not come. We've not had war as a species for over three centuries. We've evolved away from it. We're peaceful now. Now, yes, but by nature man is warlike. Every documented society created tools from tools weapons and from weapons war. We as a species have absorbed war as a part of life. We fight time, we fight the clock, we fight our bodies. We do battle with our consciences daily. Verbally we thrust and parry in arguments. And even in this enlightened age, making a disorienting comment towards someone is referred to as an ambush or a sneak attack. No, James, we are by nature lovers of war. While contemporary history seems to point otherwise, past history shows us so. In my time, countries started wars with one another simply when they were bored. People played war games to relax and even cheered death and destruction. We as a species meant for war more than any other in the history of the world. Then why is there peace now? I asked. Even without lifting the veil, I should say with near certainty that it is chaos is doing, Eric replied. War is destructive and wasteful. Chaos's people could not build up their forces and resources were they all tied up in war. So what you're saying, Eric, is that even this peace is meant for war? I should think so, Eric affirmed. If Chaos's people can control history, even peace and war, then what hope is there for a resistance, I asked. Simply put, he does not know of my continued involvement here. It has taken much effort on my part, but I have seen to it, Eric said, satisfied. So if you have kept the tide balanced, then you are the key to keeping it locked away, I commented. No, my time nears its end. I can no longer keep my presence a secret. Someone else must pick up the sword and continue the fight, Eric replied sadly. What do you mean your time nears its end? I queried. Look, even with the help of the nanites and the knowledge of so many minds, the barriers between those minds is physically breaking down, Eric said. How can that be? I asked. 
I've told you that once one of my kind dies, I inherit their abilities, their memories, the works. It is, however, deeper than that. To enhance our natural selves, the nanites that we bond with first make a complete map down to the sub-quantum level of our bodies and, more importantly, our brains. This way they can precisely alter our bodies to best enhance their function as well as repair our bodies when needed. And, as a consequence, every person who was one of us and died exists in me, Eric said. Well, of course. They all influenced who you are today, I said. No, not like that, he commented, standing up frustrated. He began pacing back and forth behind his chair. They exist in me. Their minds physically exist in me, concurrently with my own. And the barriers between those quantum realities are breaking down. All those minds are merging because I am breaking down and the nanites cannot stop it. My mind, in particular, was never meant to be like this. It wasn't evolved enough to hold this type of quantum reality in reality. There's no physical way more than one brain could exist in your head, I replied, quite confused. There isn't enough room. Space! Eric pounded and then grasped the back of his chair. Leaning forward while stepping back, he said very rapidly, Don't you see? It's perfectly clear, after all. Quantum fluxes would be needed by the nanites to reach such sensitive information in charge and position naturally assumes multiple, in fact, infinite realities. By the same, extending the idea to multiple realities existing within one place isn't such a huge stretch. So, multiple realities exist in your head? I asked, confused. No, there ain't... Well, of of course, multiple realities exist in my head in the existential sense, but... Eric suddenly stood up, paused, looked around, then said simply as if the conversation we had been having never happened, You hungry? I'm hungry. I'm making something to eat. You want something to eat? With this, he walked straight to his kitchen without another word. While he was putting together a sandwich, I tried, to no avail to have him again attempt to explain to me what he meant about the barriers between his minds breaking down. It wasn't as though the conversation had actually happened, but rather that he was suddenly completely avoidant to even discussing it. During the process, though, we did start in on another intriguing conversation. It started as Eric was grabbing a tomato from his kitchen garden. Eric, the, the light for your garden is flickering, I said, gesturing to the kitchen's shelf garden unit. I remembered noticing the flickering when I first entered Eric's house. Just now, irritated as I was about not getting to Eric to uh, start in again about his mental barriers, I brought it up. Pardon? Eric said while he cut the tomato. Your grow light is flickering. It needs to be replaced. That's normal behavior for a star, he said offhandedly. A star bulb? I've, uh... I've never heard of that type of grow bulb, I replied. No, not a star bulb, a star. Stars flicker, they blink, he said as he raised an empty hand, opening and closing it. You've seen such behavior looking up at the night sky. Yeah, I replied, but you're talking about stars. This is a kitchen hydroponic garden light. Right, Eric said, and it's also a star. He paused momentarily to look at the wall in front of him, 
in front of him contemplatively. Well, kind of. A star would be self-sustaining. And as he continued on his sandwich, he added, And bigger. I began to bend over to look under the garden's hood. Suddenly there was a knife blade. A knife blade away from me, pressed against my chest. Don't do that, he warned. This close and the raw UV radiation alone would make you go blind. He drew back his knife across my chest and continued his slicing. Aren't onions absolutely amazing? Built-in defenses in each layer. Eric, I said as I stood back up, you're telling me that's a real star providing the light for your hydroplants? Yeah, hence why the plants grow. Like I said, though, it isn't self-sustaining. It is rather small to be considered an actual star. Have you ever had basil and grilled cheese? Just absolutely fabulous. He leaned down and blindly picked some from his garden. It was a variety I'd never seen. It was pink and blue. But otherwise, it's a star, I said. Yep, Eric affirmed. Isn't that dangerous? You know, in the artificial gravity well and massive amounts of harmful radiation way? I asked. At this, Eric completely stopped his preparations, going so far as to rest his knife on the counter. Never thought of that, actually. Having an artificial star in my house would certainly alter the flow of normal space-time, especially around my kitchen. Might be why the plants seem to grow so slow, living so near a high-gravity well. After a pause, he added, Probably why I don't get HBO anymore, either. When did you lose that? I asked, inching back toward the living room. Oh, about thirty years ago, said Eric, finishing his sandwich and taking a bite. Want one? He asked around a mouthful. Quite good if I do say so myself. How did you make it? I asked. You were watching. Okay, I started with bread. Added some cheese, a little onion, some tomato, a slathering of mayo, some avocado spread that I... The star, Eric, not the sandwich, I interrupted. Oh, highly focused lasers. Quite simple with the right power. Tricky thing was how to inject the new fuel to the right layer of the star. You know, too deep and it's destabilized and goes supernova. Well, mini supernova. Too shallow and it just create a solar flare. Of sorts, you know, more like a solar burp. Luckily, making micro-unidirectional wormholes isn't nearly as hard as it seems. Eric finished leaning back on the counter, taking another bite of his sandwich. Micro-unidirectional wormhole. Wormholes are basically two black holes linked together, right? I asked. So there's black holes running into that thing? Thinking for a second around a mouth of food, Eric replied, Basically, yeah. Goes a bit deeper, but yeah, that's, that's the basics. So not only do you have a star, I began to say, many non-self-sustaining, many star, Eric corrected, in your kitchen, but also singularity, I finished asking. Several pair, Eric finished chewing, then around another bite. See, to inject the right fuel evenly into the proper layer, I needed a network of little buggers. Isn't that also quite dangerous? I asked. Oh, I have plenty more dangerous stuff than that lurking around this house. And anyway, I've been living with this contraption for 30 years, and I'm fine. 
Sure you don't want a sandwich? He asked, waving the better part of a sandwich in front of me. Oh, fearing what will come of this question. What type of more dangerous stuff are you talking about? I asked. Let me show you, Eric exclaimed around another bite. Eric, sandwich in hand, led me back through his living room, through his dining room, and down a flight of stairs into his basement. At first glance, it looked normal enough. There, through an open door to the right of the stairs, I could see a maintenance room. Ahead, a finished wet bar and social lounge, along with a touchboard on one long wall. Through a door at the left, open end of the bar, we passed various jars and other containers, assumedly of various foodstuffs Eric had grown or made. As we neared the back of the room, Eric grabbed the support of one of the shelves, biting his sandwich. There was a click, a whirring, a few more clicks. And then the end shelf swung in to show another stairway, leading further down. It ran the short side of the basement, behind a false wall, turned, and ran down to a floor. As we descended, lights flickered on, revealing a massive laboratory space. Here. This is pretty dangerous stuff, Eric said around his current mouth of food, slapping his spheroid device and walking past it. What is it? I asked. Oh, fission fusion generator, he replied without stopping. Pardon? I asked. A fusion fusion generator. It essentially contains a mini star like the one upstairs. This one, however, started its life as something altogether different. Originally, I added the raw materials and began a cascading fission reaction, you see, and when enough internal pressure built up, the free atoms started a chain reaction producing a gravity well and, so, a mini-star. Right now, that star is burning through the fuel. Once it does, the star will go dark and become a ball of raw materials in which a fission chain reaction will be initiated, and the whole process will begin again. Won't that require a lot of power, I asked? Oh, it would. But since this thing, he said as he slapped it again, making a metallic thwang, isn't hooked up to anything but a battery, the energy it's putting off is just being stored. It'll pull from that to initiate the fusion react the fission reaction. Sounds like you aren't too concerned, I said pensively. What makes it dangerous? Oh, that's easy, Eric said. If it doesn't burn correctly at the end of its life, because of its containment vessel here, he said, slapping it again, and responding with a reverberating thunk and mechanical clank that made me a little more nervous, he continued, saying, creating a certain environment around it, it could form either a mini-supernova or a mini-black hole. I kind of doubt either of those, though. Before that would happen, the casing would crack, containment would fail, and the star would begin burning this planet's atmosphere. But at least destroy this house in the process, he said, looking around and taking another bite of his sandwich. Want to see something else? he asked absently. Sure, I said, not really sure that I did. Cool. Follow me, he waved me forward with his sandwich hand. I carefully sidled past the reactor. This here could do some serious nastiness, he said, pointing to another reactor-looking device. Oh, I probably don't want to know, I said, as Eric at the same time commented, matter-antimatter reaction chamber. Antimatter? That term I knew. A current high-priority research project across several universities was the stable creation of usable amounts of antimatter. Something pulled at my memory, a story I had read from a colleague of mine. Wasn't antimatter in the news not too long ago, I asked? 
After swallowing another bite, Eric replied, Yep, some idiot grad student got careless. The Spencer field holding the antimatter sample his university had failed, and so it made contact with the containment vessel. Boom, he said, widening his eyes and making a starburst-like motion with his hands. As he did so, he took another bite of his sandwich. Yeah, I said, remembering the story. University of New Manhattan, referred to as the Manhattan Incident. Wiped out the entire science building, didn't it? And the shockwave damaged buildings throughout the rest of campus, Eric added. Looking at the device in front of me, I said, So it's stable, right? Oh yeah, isn't even active now, Eric replied. Everything is just floating in there, he said, plinking the contraption with his no-sandwich hands fingers. What powers your Spencer field, I asked. That, he said, pointing with the sandwich over his left shoulder. There stood a large device, monolithic and yet box-like in design. It seemed to subtly change shape while remaining rigid. What is it? I asked. Hmm, Zero-point energy focuser, Eric replied. Focuser, I repeated. Yep, Eric said. Based on stochastic electrodynamics and Lorenz invariance, this has collectors that siphon off the energy inherent in the universe. It pulls background energy forward for use. So what makes it work? I asked. I understood fission, fusion and matter-antimatter reactions, at least in a theoretical sense, but zero-point energy, I, I, I just didn't. You mean what powers it? Nothing. Zero-point energy is naturally all around us, Eric said. This just pools it for use. Think of it as collecting rainwater. You're not doing anything to get it, but once you have it, you can use it. So, free energy? I tried to clarify. Not exactly. Free energy, as you may know, is impossible, Eric said. Energy exists on a continuum and so can't be created or destroyed. First law of thermodynamics. This thing pulls energy and creates a net loss, minuscule, elsewhere. Once the energy is used, it flows back into the universal pool in one form or another, and evens things out. So why not just use that instead of a mini-star, or what amounts to a controlled explosion to get energy, I asked. Oh, antimatter reactors are really meant to be more of a drive propulsion system, Eric said, to, you know, drive, or to power drive units. The fission fusion reactor there is mildly unstable and still somewhat dirty in scope. This, though, he said, gesturing at the obelisk-like looking device, is completely clean. Not to mention that once you build such a contraption, you never really have to give it another thought. I reached out to touch it, but Eric quickly grabbed my hand. Part of the construction, though, is building it in five-dimensional space. That's why it seems to shimmer and quiver without moving. What we're seeing is only a three-dimensional shadow that ordinary human minds can't properly comprehend, and that normal eyes can't properly see. As resilient as human bodies are against outside interference, I wouldn't touch that. It put my lights out for two days until my body came out of dimensional flux. He slowly let go of my hand as I heeded his warning. You sure you don't want something to eat? 
he asked, pointing at what remained of his sandwich after taking another bite. You look like you could use something. Come on. He began to climb the stairs out of his underground lab, lunching at the last of his sandwich as we went. I slowly followed, trying to take in as much of this strange lab as I could. So many odd, other odd-looking devices remained on the various benches and tables. Tools from many different eras lay around the room, ranging from hammers to sonic screwdrivers, torque wrenches to Spencer field clamps. The strangest part about the lab, though, had to be the lack of any mechanical hum. This was my last impression of it as I passed back through the lab's shelved and hidden entrance, Eric once more grabbing his support to the sound of whirs and clicks as the door swung closed behind me. That was chapter 26. What are they up to? This will be very short. Chapter 27. Chaos at the End. Taken from remaining transcripts of surviving prisoners of war. Chaos. Leader of the Global Insurrection. <laughs> prisoners of war, I greet you. You are my enemy. But all of you are also family by blood. The same that courses through my veins is in yours. So, my brothers and sisters, I have a simple proposal. I know that we are on opposite sides of this conflict, but as your older brother, I seek to bring our family back together. So I ask simply, who among you will join me this night? I will harbor no ill will towards you simply because you fought against me. No, 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 don't fear. Raise your hands high, and you will be removed from these enemies of the new Terran Empire. Yes, yes, raise your hands, that right. R raise them so we can see who among you is a traitor to your own kind. Shoot them, shoot them now, you vile traitors, willing to switch sides just to live. You deserve nothing but a slow death. But I obviously am more merciful, hence why we shoot you. Burn the rest of the insolent dogs that yet breathe my air, then make public what happens to those who are on the side of the loyalists. Chapter 28 An Encounter Hey, I'm telling you that you gotta pull back, Eric exclaimed. And I'm telling you there's no reason for it. I'm doing exactly what they've been asking me to, and I've been setting up my base of operations covertly, just like orders said. Explain to me how that's working outside mission parameters, Eric replied. Adam, what you're doing isn't what's concerning them. It's how, Eric responded. How, Adam repeated. Yes, how, Eric said. It's how you're conducting yourself in the field, and what effect that's having. What's been going on around me? Aaron Adams said indignantly as he rose quickly, slamming his palms on the desk. So I'm being blamed, he said, barely containing his anger. For what? The natural political environment around me? For what peasants do on their own? We both know, Eric said, standing behind his desk in an attempt to match Adam's stance, that those peasants aren't acting alone. You're working outside your mission parameters in an attempt to grow your own local base of power. I am doing what I have to in order to build usable allies in the region, Adam replied vehemently. 
You were sent there with a specific mission due to a direct threat to the regional government's stability, Eric said. You have all the resources of both the TDF and the Terran government behind you. Nothing else is needed, he finished matter-of-factly. Adam leaned in sharply, mere centimeters from Eric's face. Bull. Supplies don't arrive on time. And what we do get is quickly used in erstwhile humanitarian mission that services our front. I'm doing what is operationally imperative. He leaned back, fixed his uniform and hair, slid on his hat, and said, You sent me there because you knew that I would do what was necessary. Good day, sir, he added with a salute, leaving. Eric sat back down, slowly wiping his face with both hands as he stretched. The meeting had gone as well as he had expected, but nowhere near as well as he had wanted. Mang James and and the whole TDF were under pressure from the Minister of the Interior. They had asked Eric to rein in Adam, though he knew it was a lost cause. When they had first sent Adam out there, they had intentionally given him free reign, as the northern sector of South America had turned into a hotbed of resistance to both the TDF and the Terran government. Adam needed to be able to make decisions freely in the field. Now, though, with breakthroughs in political relations in the area, the government wanted the project halted, especially since he was actually succeeding in not only undermining the political heads in the area, but also in gaining active support against them. Typical government. Better the devil you know. So his mission was to be aborted. If he did not comply, his supplies were to be cut off, and, if need be, a force sent in to bring him back. It wouldn't work, though. All the progenitors knew it. From the reports he had been sending in, they knew he could survive without supplies. Not only that, but with the base of power he had built in the area, no strike team would find him. If he couldn't hide in the mountains, the locals would help. Very quickly a call would come, and Eric would have to debrief James, Mang, and the minister on his failed meeting. In the meantime, Adam would already be on his way back. He knew as well as Eric what this meeting meant. He had to prepare. This time, the government was definitely wrong. The politicians were like dictators in the area there. They couldn't be trusted. And in the beginning, Atmo had set out to fight this type of corruption, not provided a safe haven. For I can see the road ahead, and so I act accordingly. Meng's words from just yesterday echoed in Eric's head. I think I know what you mean, old friend. Eric mumbled to himself. His phone rang. It was his secretary telling him that he was expected in the conference room. Nicole, transfer me down to operations. His path was chosen. He would help his old friend in the jungle. Lieutenant McEwen here, the voice on the other end of the line said. This is Eric Pullman. I am heading to a debriefing that should last about half an hour. By the time I'm done, I want on my desk papers drawn up for a surgical strike team with half-year supply. Their target will be Adams Chaos Base in South America. There was a pause on the other end. Sir, to confirm, you want logistics drawn up for a long-term surgical strike team targeting Special Op Chaos's HQ? Correct, Lieutenant. The package will be for a 20-person unit. It will need full field HQ capabilities. This isn't going to be a quick mission. 
Eric replied. No, sir, I would expect not. I'll have a draft on your desk within a half hour. Thank you, Eric said, severing the connection. That was done. Now he simply needed to put the right team together. Adam still had friends in not only the TDF Command and ATMO, but in the general ranks as well. That, though, could wait until after the debriefing. So, Eric, how'd the meeting go? began Meng. The three of them sat around the conference table, all facing the display screen that linked the minister into the meeting. Let me begin by saying two things. First, I again oppose this move. Chaos was put into place for a reason. Even setting the mission to dormant would be a better idea than killing it outright. Second, I apologize for my mood, which should of itself give you all a fair indication of how it went, Adam said as pleasantly as possible. So, James replied, what are we going to do? As our friend from the Ministry of the Interior pointed out before you joined us, Eric, we have been ordered to reign in chaos. Being part of the establishment now, we must comply, especially since we're the only ones who can, Meng commented. What do you see from this? James asked Meng. Oh, the future's in flux and, in theory, hinges on how we handle this, Meng commented. Eric, you know chaos best of anyone here. Suggestions? We have all read the reports on the actions in South America. There are no good options once we go down the path of bringing him in. He has strong ties with the locals, not to mention a very entrenched presence in the region, Eric stated. Mr. Pullman, came a voice from the screen. Gentlemen, allow me to make a comment. A personal assurance to you off the record. If I could help you in any way to resolve this matter more amiably, I would. However, we all have our orders. On the record, I want to again emphasize that standing orders are to bring chaos in and end this project. The determination was made in concert with the Prime Minister that such was the best course of action to help bring stability back to the region. Minister, thank you for your assurance. And while we understand the government's position, Eric does have a point. Chaos is succeeding in the mission's objectives. He has built usable inroads with the local populace. We are... Were we to simply put this mission into a dormant status, we would maintain a strong presence in the area without undue collateral harm. In this way, would diplomacy fail, we would still have the tools in the region to deal with the situation, James replied. Mr. Christopher, I can appreciate your attempt at a middle road here, and while I realize how close chaos was to completion of the mission, the minister's order stands. He is to be brought in, and the chaos mission terminated. This is especially true after reading some of the reports he has sent in. He's a loose cannon out there, gentlemen. We can't control him. As such, he poses a danger to our attempt in building stability in the region. Following, I need to know what your plans are in recalling all independently operating teams from the field, the minister added. All teams? Eric asked, looking questioningly first at the minister on screen, then James. 
I am likewise confused, sir. The only team we currently have deployed in the operational region in question is Chaos's, James replied. The Cabinet of Ministers decided that, after consideration of the current global political climate, any and all independent teams you may have deployed should be recalled in South America or elsewhere, the minister said. Sir, I assure you, Meng replied, that the only independently operating team we currently have in the field is chaos. We simply don't have the logistical capability to support more teams than that. And with the current focus on expansion and civilian support, it should come as no surprise that we don't have the supplies to outfit, deploy, and keep active more than one field team. Meng was, of course, lying. They had four more teams, just like Chaos's across the globe, but the ministers didn't need to know about them. The minister appeared to likewise doubt Meng's sincerity, but said, All right. So again, what's the plan, gentlemen? Eric? Once again, suggestions? Said James. If we're intent on bringing him in... Eric replied, on ending Project Chaos, then I would have to suggest a fairly large strike team being outfitted for for a long-term incursion. Just how large are we talking, Mr. Pullman? The minister asked. I would say possibly 40 personnel, Eric replied. You're asking for a platoon to be deployed to bring in a squad? The minister asked, dubious. A squad of very dedicated and highly trained people, James pointed out. I somehow doubt that such a force is warranted, and I would assume that the Prime Minister would agree with me. For the moment, though, let's set the number of personnel aside. How long do you anticipate this taking? asked the Minister. Without a sufficient initial force, the effort will be more drawn out. Eric said, and a similar force would have to be better trained and supplied. A 30-strong platoon, I would estimate, could get the job done in approximately four months, Eric said. With the right personnel, I would agree, added Meng, but we would have to have the latitude to assemble the team ourselves. No room for interference if we're talking about budget crunching here. After a moment of consideration, the minister said, Gentlemen, events are happening very quickly in the region. We simply cannot send in even a 30-person force. We, we could support up to a 20-man team. But six months is the most that this administration could possibly give. We have large plans that will start to take shape after that time. Eric shook his head while looking from James to Meng, then to the secretary. Twenty people won't be enough, not without substantial support commitments. Adam made it very clear to me that he wants to stay and see chaos through. If we try to extract him, it will become a very long-acted fight. Of this, I have no doubt. I'm sorry, but that will have to be the final word, the minister said. We can support a twenty-man team, but no more. Uh, if it becomes operationally imperative to exceed six months of field engagement, we may be able to do so. However, at that point, we would have to talk about this becoming a black ops assignment. Our plans that far out do not allow for any visible missteps, 
by field agents. We need to go then for, we have a go then, Minister, for deployment of a 20-person force to retrieve the equipment and personnel of Project Chaos, James asked. Yes, you have a go. I, I'll reluctantly have the necessary paperwork sent to your office before the end of business today. Good luck, gentlemen, and make it quick. With that, the minister signed off the link. Eric again looked from James to Meng and back and asked, We're really going to bring Adam in now? We're sending a team out to retrieve him, yes, came the reply from Meng, but it won't be easy. I mean, depending on how much latitude the minister gives us, we should consider deploying the team with, uh, with an A-kit. Meng, an A-kit? You're suggesting we send an adaption kit into the field? We don't currently have any free team leaders trained to use it, Eric replied. Of course we do, said James. One is located right where we'd be sending it. Meng's intention struck home. We're sending it for chaos. For Adam, not to get Adam, Eric said, making sure he understood. We agree with you, Eric. Chaos is too important an asset to bring in. Adam and his people, in chaos, need to be kept in the field. I've looked into what the minister is planning. It will fail, Meng said. We need to keep chaos and its people in the field. If we can help strengthen Adam's foothold in the region between now and the time we need him again, all the better. It's going against what the administration ordered, Eric said pensively. We're aware, replied James, but the minister did say that if he could help us, he would. Well, without him knowing, we're giving him that opportunity. We'll have to get just the right team together to send in, Meng said. People that Adam will trust and who are willing to go dark. Think you can gather up twenty such people? he asked Eric. I think I could find a few. Yeah, Eric replied. From that moment on, they decided to support chaos as it continued to build its base of power. Adam had, as he had said in Eric's office, done only what was asked of him. Now they had to support his continued efforts, and Eric could think of no one better to lead such a mission than Jessica, Adam's own girlfriend. She was, perhaps, the one person in Atmo that Adam still trusted completely. She would, ostensibly, lead the team to bring in Project Chaos and its personnel. With Claire and Andre running their own teams, that would leave just Meng, James, Melinda, and Eric of the Progenitors to run the show. Chaos in the person of Adam would be kept alive and strengthened so that if and when he was needed, they would be prepared to act. And, according to Adam's reports, Chaos would be triggered sooner than later. Of course, what the reports didn't show was what no one but Adam knew. The reason why. While he had been submitting weekly reports to the TDF, he had done so while controlling the situation. The dictators were becoming so concerned about losing power, as chaos gained it, that they were now willing to deal. The problem was that they no longer had enough of that power to keep chaos's plans from coming to fruition. He was molding a new state in South America, one he would control. He never wanted such power, 
but it had come to him. These people, his people, had come to him pleading to be saved. His hand had been forced, and if it were forced in such a way, why not use it for good? Chaos would reshape the area, make it better, remake it to fit his own image. Then they would see and understand what he was capable of. I'm actually going to end this episode there. We're at about 50 minutes. So we managed to squeeze in chapters 26. What are they up to? 27, Chaos at the End, and 28, Encounter. I think that's a good place. So next episode... We'll start with chapter 29, Ignorance Lost, which as I look at it, it's probably a good thing because I don't think I've edited that one yet. Perfect place to start next time. So, before I go, of course, thank you again. Thank you for uh, downloading, tuning in, however you want to refer to it, listening, reading with me week after week. Please, the best thing you could do to support me is to share this podcast with a family member, a friend, someone you know. Help spread the word about this. This is, after all, my attempt to try and get exposure for my writing for my books. If you're interested in the print form of this book, it is currently available in its uh, first edition on basically any any e-reader platform out there. I have links to that off of my website, narclanning.com. You can also get a print version of the book through, again, I have a link off of my website, but through lulu.com. The cheapest way, if you actually want a print version of this book to, I don't know, read along with it or something, would be to go through something like Smashwords. Again, link on web on my website, narclanning.com, because through Smashwords, this book is free. If you get it through Amazon, there's like a $2 charge. If you want a print book, those run about $13. Basically, I'm not making anything off of this book currently. I have it priced so low where I have to have a price. I am, as I've said, re-editing it in the hopes that I will be able to get some representation and actually get this out there in a uh, fully published way. You know, see it in the sci-fi section of like a Barnes & Noble at some point. In the meantime, please come back next week, join me again, and continue to listen to what I hope is a great adventure story. Thank you again for coming back week after week. We will see you next time.